listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Executive Director of the Shawnigan Lake Museum, Lori Traylor. Lori, thank you for taking the chance to speak with me today about the uh, Shawnigan Lake Museum, as well as the Historical Society. Let's start with yourself. How did you get involved with museums? It was pretty random. Uh, I grew up with a cottage at Shawnigan Lake, and as did my husband. And so we have a real affinity with the area. And when we moved here permanently in 2002, I wanted to get involved. I had trained as a teacher, so I thought a museum was a really good place for me and my skill set. It was really difficult because it was rarely open at that time. And when I did get into the building, the person who was managing it wanted to get out. So in a split second, I agreed to take over. And that's how it began. That was in 2004, and I've been here ever since. So I don't have a museum credentials, so to speak, other than what workshops and that that I've done since then. But it has been a joy. It was on death's door at that moment, and we have revitalized it. Mm. And that's, it's been great. Mm. And walk us through the the history of of the museum. What were the early years when it was forming? Uh, What were the nature of the collections? Who were some of the people that were involved in those early days? In 1977, the society was established and it was local people who were dedicated to making sure that the history of the area was recorded. Brownie Gibson comes to mind as a person who had been writing historical articles for local newspapers for years. Again, they were community people that weren't uh, museum trained, but they also became a part of what is called an eco-museum, and you might hear about the eco-museum when you go to some of these other smaller ones in the area. And they worked together, even though their collections were different, the aim was the same. They all wanted to support each other and tell the story of their community. And and was it always situated in the building in which we're sitting today, or has it moved around? 1977, they didn't have a building, and they did a few temporary places up until 1983, and this is the old fire hall Mm. for Shawnigan, and it became vacant, so they snapped it up, and and we've been here ever since. Mm. And how has the collection taken shape? What are some of its strengths? What are some stories that are well represented within the uh, Shawnigan Lake Museum? They collected from 1977 on and they did a great job in how to create an archives and how to run a museum and they did a great job of collecting stuff at a time when it there were still old timers here Mm -hmm. and they were able to find that information which now is getting a little bit harder every now and again we get a great donation or a great connection for an old timer Mm -hmm. as people grow older and they realize that their fathers or grandfathers or great-grandfathers had a part in the history of the area and want to make sure that it's told and shared. Do you actively seek items from the community or is it more of a a passive approach to collecting, developing the collection? 
In the beginning, it was definitely not passive. They were very aggressive at collecting. We have a capacity issue right now, so we don't uh, actively go out, but we people bring us things or offer us things, and if it fits, sometimes you can't say because it's important to the history of the area. What are some stories that you know of within the community that you would like to start developing some holdings in and further enrich and really get a broader uh, perspective on? One of the weaknesses in our collection is telling the multicultural story. This museum has always told the settler story, but there was a very large population of um, Asians in the early part of the century in Shawnigan, and that story has not been told. I do have a grant application in right now, and that's to create a permanent exhibit on that story. Um, The other story that hasn't been told is the First Nations story in the area, and it's complicated because our local First Nations Couch and Tribes, they consider this their territory, but they know very little about the history in Shawnigan. Mm. So I did reach out. I have had conversations with the chief and the researchers from there, but they will admit that they don't know that much. Mm. But we will continue to pursue that. pandemic kind of got in the way of that uh, mm. project, but it is critical that we tell that story and I can't tell it. Mm -hmm. What are the strategies in terms of uh, the collection that you're thinking of, the Asian populations in the Shawnigan Lake region? What are your thoughts to developing that exhibition? I always start at the end and work forward. It's figuring out how we want people to feel when they see that because I've reached out to educators in the area and long-time community people and I don't know how to say it other than there is a very low percentage of diversity Hmm. in our community and yet there was in the beginning. What I want is for them to understand how the Asian influence helped build our community and I want them to engage with that idea and to wonder why it changed so drastically over time. It's funny, I had just pushed the button for the grant application and I had a call from a um, fellow, literally a minute later, who lives in Ontario, who said his grandfather was born here and he was Japanese. Mm. And it was like, wow, this is, a message that we're doing the right thing and he wanted information and I said we will be reaching out to you for information as well because of course they were all relocated in the war mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it's gone you can see the names in the school registers but after that mm-hmm. when we're creating exhibits we really try to create an exhibit so that there's different ways for people to interact, it could be hands-on, it could be choosing what you want to see in terms of our little theatre. We have a multitude of videos that have been created by summer student staff and volunteers to tell different stories and everyone learns in a different way. So 
we want to make as many different ways for people to get that story. What are some some other exhibition ideas that are percolating in the back of your mind uh, that make use of the, the collection? It's difficult because of our space limitations. Or even when I'm thinking of the Asian one, I have to think very carefully where that could be. We do rotate out with much smaller displays because we have some amazing things. Bruce Hutchison, who's a well-known Canadian author and newspaper man, had a summer camp at Shawnigan for his whole life. And he had a little writing cabin overlooking the water. And his son just brought us his typewriter that he used in that. So that was something that immediately needed to go out for people to see. We're doing a series of talks as well. So they're not exactly exhibits, but Alice Ravenhill, who was a remarkable woman who moved to Shawnigan around 1910. She became a mover and shaker in British Columbia for the indigenous arts. And she was very much a promoter of their arts for her whole career. And so we have just recently got a big monument from Parks Canada and Historic Sites for Alice Ravenhill and just recently did a a talk on her and a video Mm -hmm. talking about her as well. I think that's what excites me too is the the number of really well-known people who have done amazing things but have come through this tiny little village. I know that there's some exhibitions you have. Uh, The E.J. Hughes Room is one of them. Maybe uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that story. J. Hughes, after the war, moved to Victoria, but he found it too busy and too noisy. So they ended up moving to Shawnigan Lake in a kind of dilapidated old house and had his studio upstairs overlooking the lake. Hmm. He was discovered in Shawnigan Lake. So he'd been painting away and a fellow from a art dealer from Montreal came out to see Emily Carr's works, saw one of E.J. Hughes' works, and tracked him down to Shawnigan Lake, knocked on his door, bought everything in the studio for $500, and then for over 20 years bought every painting that he created, which is why he was not very well known in Western Canada, because all of his art was going to Montreal. Mm. So some very large art collectors would scoop up his work. So it took a very long time for him to be known in the West. Even living in our community, he was just this very quiet, reserved man. (laughs) What are some current events in the Shawnigan Lake area or transformations you're seeing in the community that you have an eye to as someone who's involved with museums? We recently went through a massive and historic fight because there was contaminated dumping going on in our watershed. So that was a huge story that we covered. There's not an exhibit right at the moment for that, but that had a profound effect on the community and because we have a very large watershed that needs to be protected. Do researchers make use of the holdings in in the museum and the archives for for independent projects? I would say we're not set up that way right now, mm. but that is we're planning an expansion and that will be very much what we will try to attract. I get calls and I have people, I can provide people with information, but the space is limited for researchers coming in at this time. Mm -hmm. And when we have more space, it will be very open Mm -hmm. to that.
And there is an archives component of, of the museum, yeah, yes. and, and what's the nature of it? Is it local businesses, or how did that form? Was that contemporaneous with the historical society and the museum? So they started collecting in 77, even before they had a space, and they did actually a really great job of recording what we have. I can't remember exactly how many pieces we have. We have for a small area, we do have a pretty good collection of archival material. Mm-hmm. What are some hopes and aspirations for the museum? And, and, and maybe what are the challenges that are, are, are getting in the way of uh, achieving those aims? We are fundraising right now for the expansion. And the expansion is not necessarily about more exhibit space. It is more about having the space to bring community in for programming. And we run school programming, but in our limited space, it is a challenge. So we want the community to become more involved in the museum as a community hub. Mm -hmm. So we will be able to provide a lot of activities for seniors, for young people, and everyone in between. Mm -hmm. But right now it's challenging. With our school programs, often they have to bring two classes at the same time. Mm. We can manage one class in the building, but we have to provide activities for the other class outside. When we get to that stage, hopefully next year where we have this extra space, we can invite the community in, create endless programs for the community, Mm. and educate the community on really what has gone on here. Right now, the population is around 9,000 people, and a lot of them are relatively new and don't even know the history of the area. And we want people to be excited about that history. Laurie, thank you very much, and all the best with the development into the future and, and engaging the community. Thank you. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.